Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is Jonathan Pritchett. And today, Matt Mozakis. Matt Mozakis. Are we saying it right? Mosaicus. Dang Mosaicus. Mosaic. I told Pritchett he could like bring mosaic. us. Mosaic. It's Mosaicus. I told Pritchett I could bring us in, and then I brought us in. Pritchett, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, I got the name wrong, so but you got it wrong too. But it, yeah, we're glad to have Matt Mosaicus here. Yes, Matt is one of our uh, graduates, right? Are yep. you currently still a student? Um, yeah, I just actually started my doctoral work at Covenant Theological Seminary in Greenville, North Carolina. But I got both my bachelor's and master's from Trinity Theological Seminary. Woohoo! Awesome. We are yeah. so proud to have you here. Um, and so just so everyone knows, Matt has been a friend of ours for a long time. He's been with Trinity radio, probably almost to the beginning of the YouTube phase, if yeah. not, uh, before. And so we're really excited to have you here. We became friends online and then Matt invited, uh, Dr. Pritchett and myself to come and speak at their church and do a apologetics event one weekend. And we had a lot of fun with them and we're going back next weekend. Yep. So if you're yeah. in the West, where, where's it going to be exactly? Lake Geneva, Lake Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. And the name of the church is Mount Zion, what? Community church? Christian church. Christian church. Christ, yeah. It's a Christian one. It's not the Muslim yeah. church. You went That's you went right. too far yeah, if you got to the Muslim church. Yeah. Um, and so you can come to Mount Zion uh, Christian church and be a part of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to do a men's weekend this weekend, but don't worry, ladies. You can be a part of the Friday night. Uh, no, Saturday night and Sunday morning. Saturday night, yeah, with Jonathan Pritchett and Sunday morning with me. So, And you can be with Matt 
Mozakis. Mozakis. Mozakis through all of that. Think Mozakis. I've known Tyler Vela for years too, but yesterday I was like, Tyler Vela? I, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh, glad you're here, Matt. And uh, the, uh, first of all, is there anything you want to plug or tell us about or what God's done in your life or why you're amazing and anything you want to say? I wouldn't say I'm that amazing. Um, well, my name is Matt. I'm a worship pastor, like you said, at Mount Zion Christian Church in Lake Geneva. I've uh, been married to my wife, Audrey. We co-lead worship there. We've been married for almost 15 years and um, have four kids. Um, yeah, love uh, Bible, theology, and all things uh, like that. My wife and I also, we co-write music. Um, I also have a podcast called Expedition 44. You can check it out on YouTube and any other podcast apps. And that is linked in the description along with other links that we think will be helpful throughout this show, including the original link of a video by Genetically Modified Skeptics, which is what brings us here. Uh, if you're here for the first time, you should know that on Friday night, we let our hair down a little bit. And, for those uh, of us who haven't, <laughs> so, the so two we, of you are just, <laughs> man, well, he's, he's a little, Matt's got a little bit more than you do, but y'all are both. But, uh, but yeah, so, so Matt, um, uh, Matt's on here today. We're going to joke around a little bit. We're going to, we may shoot the breeze a little bit. We'll, we'll get to questions um, at some point, if not throughout. Uh, but primarily what we're going to do here today is we're going to respond to a video by genetically modified skeptic in which he talks about church services. And I don't think I'm misrepresenting. I think I'm using words that he used to say that whether people like Matt, who happens to be a worship leader, whether he knows it or is intentionally doing it or not, the worship services that he plans are manipulative, either intent. Now, that said, he didn't say that specifically about Matt, right? He said that about church services in general. He's careful to say he's talking about his experience, but he thinks it's a big enough experience that others have had it. And um, at least some of these things will be true about your. So he's not talking specifically about Matt. Matt is the sort of worship leader that I think he's talking about, who uh, leads the kind of worship that we saw on stage, I think, in his video. So anyway, uh, I thought, hey, we know a worship minister who's also got some apologetic knowledge. Let's bring him on here and let him respond to what's true, what's not true, um, what's an exaggeration, what are some presuppositions with what Drew, genetically Outright modified skeptic, had to say. of what's going on. Yeah, so anything you want to say about that before we jump in, Matt? I know. Let's um I mean when we look at I mean the way we plan worship services, it it's interesting some of the stuff that that he said that it it's intentional and I would say it's not. So I mean maybe we can just dive into some of the video and maybe respond to that. I I wouldn't say it's in, intentional that any of us do this <laughs> yeah yeah okay so let's just go ahead and listen uh to the first thing that he has to say this is about a minute long clip all the clips are about that length so um we're going to jump right in the worship first format most protestant churches follow is designed with a purpose communal worship sets the tone and gets people ready to listen to the speaker it's basic social psychology Acting in unity with a crowd, especially in repetitive actions, lessens your sense of self and allows you to act as one with others without much effort. Instinctively, conforming becomes what's most comfortable. Additionally, music, especially in social settings, takes you out of your head and ushers you into a shared emotional experience, one which makes you more receptive to feelings and ideas spoken to the crowd. 
Repetitive ritual, especially when music is involved, creates an emotionally charged, receptive, even impressionable crowd. Church and music leaders of all kinds know this well. Okay, so um, people were saying they couldn't hear you too well, so I'm, I turned your volume up. Speak for me, Matt, right. if you don't mind. Check, check. Yeah, you're going to hear me okay. now? Is that better? Uh, yeah, now you're going to up a little bit. Yeah, you actually leave it there. I can turn it down just a little bit to match us. Okay, so. Sounds good. <clears throat> So, you know, obviously I have thoughts about what he just said. Um, Let me go ahead and start us out here. So first, when I look at this, there's the presumption that whether they know it or not, worship leaders are pulling something over on the church. But what I want to point out, this is a major, this will go through the whole video. This is a major thing I I want us to recognize is that even if you don't think there's anything real about what's going on in the room when a worship service is happening, even if you're completely naturalist, the truth is the worship leaders are not willfully pulling something over the wool over the eyes of the listeners because most church services, it's a, I mean, it's in any church service, it's a willful process, right? You don't have to be here, but you're here. And most of the congregation, while it's true that we want unbelievers in the congregation and we would like to see them make, uh, decisions. And it's, it's, it's also true that we may structure our services such that it's easy for them to, uh, to make a move for the Lord, uh, to, to make that decision public. The reality is most of the people that are there are, are there because they are familiar with this process. They may even recognize, Hey, you know what? I already know I've got a particular problem with pornography or I've got a particular problem with overeating or I've got lies or whatever the thing might be or gossip. Um, I've already know I've got a problem with this. I haven't, I haven't done anything about it yet. What I'm wanting now, I'm a little hot now, but what I'm, what I'm wanting, let me turn that down is for the pastor to do what I know the pastor is going to do. He may not even actually teach me anything. I don't know, but he's going to inspire me toward living more of the Christian life. In other words, this is not the way it's spoken about is as though the people that are coming into the congregation every day are blank slates. Um, or have a certain amount perhaps already of indoctrination from this. And the whole point of the church service is to convince them of Christianity or to keep them convinced of Christianity. When for the average churchgoer, including myself, nope, what I'm wanting is I'm already sold on Christianity, right? I'm not here to be convinced or not convinced. I'm here to deepen my discipleship, deepen my Christian walk, experience God in a communal setting because we think that's important in the body of believers. So it's not as though we're going in to a, a lecture to determine whether Christianity is true and every aspect of the Christian faith is bound up in whether or not it's it's true. For many of us, we've decided it's true. We're wanting to do something that we do experience interactively, experientially, um, and that will hopefully inspire us toward living a better life. And I think that dichotomy needs to be drawn because the other side of that, that we're just here to determine whether it's true, seems to stand behind much of what Drew says. Matt? Yeah, um, I think one of the assumptions is that the whole thing is about truth claims. And I would say that even in some of, a lot of our worship services, we will sometimes do worship at the end instead of at the beginning. So. If we do it at the end, you're not setting up this, I guess, emotional experience so much. I mean, sometimes we do it at the end. So I would say that worship, since all people are are coming voluntarily, it's out of a response of gratitude and a response of 
of worship, worshiping with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as it says in what Deuteronomy 6 and what Israel was called to do. So, I mean, that's the way that I, I see it as a worship leader is that I'm helping facilitate that and not, I guess, manipulating a, a worship experience, but allowing people to participate in their gratitude towards God. Well, I've, I've always seen at any, any concert I've ever been to, and I've been to plenty, uh, I was in a band and, and we, we performed plenty of shows. And so at any event where there's music and then you have an audience that you're trying to, uh, you know, get to go along with you, uh, and, and have an experience of whatever kind, whether it's a transcendent religious worship experience or a good time singing along to familiar songs or for whatever reason, all live music events where the music is somewhat decent or better can have that effect where you can get in front of a crowd and you, you can bring them along on some sort of journey. And I think every artist, secular Christian, uh, any other religion, take your pick. They're all trying, you know, trying to create an experience because you have the people there. So you can you can make statements at a rock concert, um, and I've heard plenty. Uh, if, if you know Rage Against the Machine, for example, they get everyone hyped up and then they start uh, giving all of their uh, political information that that they want you to cheer and, and and all of that. So there's all all kinds of of live music events. That can create that same scenario. <clears throat> yeah, so it's not I, I particular actually, to any everything he just said in that opening clip is not particular to just Christian worship services. Yeah, and, and in fact, um, I, I was thinking of I've been to a number of U two concerts, right? And halfway through the show, they're going to bring the music down. Bono's going to make an impassioned speech about the one campaign and bringing medications to people in Africa who need it. And they're going to play the song one, which is very emotionally impactful because yes, it's true that, that we are emotional beings. And so one way, um, one way to speak to us is on an emotional level, but I want to show something that illustrates exactly what Jonathan Pritchett just said. Let me go ahead and uh, play a clip for you here. This is a different way of thinking about it. At a service this past weekend, there was singing, there was reflection, fellowship at a room full of non-believers. A movement dubbed the Atheist Megachurch has arrived in San Diego. 10 News reporter Michael Chen shows it to us. In the news release publicized... Okay, I'm going to skip some of this. I just want to get you to the relevant moment. Here we go. San Diego. Sunday Assembly San Diego! There are rousing words and rousing music. At first glance, this could be a scene from a megachurch, but there's one major difference. Everyone here is a non-believer. My hope is that... So, uh, you know, it's just interesting to point out that I guess Genetically Modified Skeptic is going to want to speak to all of the atheists who are developing church sort of experiences and make sure they know that before they listen to a Carl Sagan speech about the meaninglessness of the cosmos or before Richard Dawkins tells them that the universe is filled with pitiless indifference, that they shouldn't uh, prepare people for that with like, I don't know, dark emo music or whatever you do to prepare someone. No, for it's John Lennon, message. you know, <laughs> yeah. imagine, imagine, imagine. trot yeah. out that trope, but, but the point, okay. So obviously now, this is partly true. There are these organizations springing up that are functioning exactly like churches, except without the religious content. That much is true. But 
it's also true that there are atheist conferences and conventions that are going on where they play music and things like that. So in addition to the, what Pritchett said about just any time you get, you have music as a part of an event like that, that's going to happen. Um, this even happens among atheists. And so I would expect at the very least that, that this would want that genetically modified skeptic would want to angle this toward, uh, non-church people too, you know, people that are atheists. Any other thoughts on this, Matt? Yeah, um, I have a couple of good friends that actually uh, work for Amazon selling businesses, and um, they usually bring in Tony Robbins every year, and they say that every single year they have music and dancing and things like that, and right before he speaks, and then it is, they say, a form to kind of bring them into hear the message, maybe, and motivate them in their business, so... Yeah, what's the problem? And and it seems like I I really doubt that whoever is arranging the music, whatever the equivalent is of of an anti-worship leader at an atheist church or whatever they would call themselves, whatever they're thinking about, it's not like they're just randomly selecting whatever song and putting no thought into it whatsoever. I want to believe that it's not just entirely random, but they, they have some sort of telos that they're aiming for with the weekly service and they're going to mm-hmm. arrange it because if not, it's, it, you know, it would probably, if you've ever seen a church service that had no preparation whatsoever, it falls apart. Within train wreck. The first, yeah, it's oh, a yeah. Train, absolute train wreck. <laughs> it falls apart within the first 10 minutes. And and they're like, well, let's go. I don't want to do him number four seventy six. So we're going to do him number three twenty two, even though the bulletin says. And, and it just everything goes off the rails. The piano player didn't ever learn that song. It's her first time, to, you know. Or if it's a the, the the worship band, they never rehearsed this song in their life. Or to save everyone, some girl gets up to sing a special, oh, and she has trouble after the first line, and everyone's like, bless her, bless her, bless her, bless. Her. Yeah. So I mean, but, the but, idea that these things are entirely random—no, they're trying to communicate something. Otherwise, there's no point in being there. So, mm-hmm. the same kinds of thought processes to structure things, because I, I think Braxton hit on this. We are creatures that that are oriented towards something, right? And the fact that these atheists are even doing this lets me know that they're that that church is one of the few places in the world that people still gather to sing together communally. The only, the closest approximate to that would be like karaoke night where they watch failed contestants on The Voice go in there and show off, and nobody likes it anymore. So church is one of those rare places. So they see this, they pick up on that, and they're like, there's something about people gathering with a sense of community and purpose that involves music, that involves unity. And so they're trying to f- fill that need, that void, that that you have a worship-shaped hole in your heart, we'll say. And they're trying to fill that up with pitiless and different universes and all this stuff. Well, but but to me, the, they're still trying to aim at something. And so you could say that they're doing the same sort of intentional in- manipulation towards their worldview. Yeah, and uh, Brando says he's presupposing this is all bad, like all the things he's listing. I don't know about you guys, but there were several moments where I was listening to him describe what was going on. And even like uh, trying to speak on behalf of the pastor, like 
Um, I know you're out there dealing with a particular sin and, and listen, we want you to know we're praying with you about that. And I was thinking as this atheist was describing that, well, amen, you know, like that's a, that why, why is this a bad thing? But, uh, I think that's important. One of the things that I've noticed with genetically modified skeptics, I've done several videos on him is that, and it didn't happen here as obviously, but the, the presupposition that the atheist narrative is true or an, an, an atheist narrative is true such that. This is kind of creepy given that it's all fake and that these worship leaders are doing this to you. Isn't that a little? And I know they don't mean bad. They mean well. They believe it. But isn't it kind of creepy? It's like, well, no, not if I believe this is true. Not if I believe this is actually true. Now, yeah. what? Now, I, I, and, and, we and, haven't let you speak much, Matt, but I want to get to something real quick. Pritchett, what's on your heart? I was going to say, and isn't it also interesting that the way that he talks in his video where he's all solemn like this, and this is what's, as if that's not intentional, to try to come off as disarming as opposed to uh, being Aaron Raw about it and start ranting about how awful these worship leaders. No, he's got a, he's, there's an intentionality to the way that he's expressing himself in this very video so that you can, you can find it disarming and, and, and pay closer attention and it's not threatening to the Christian who, who may, be curious about this. So the, that's intentional too. Yeah. Brad from Carolina. Thank you for that substantial super chat. Uh, super chat brother Woo-hoo. says, take advantage of Trinity's resources and get learned up. Lots of love your way, men. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad from yeah. Carolina. Love Brad from Carolina. Um, yeah. Uh, punch bowl haircuts. Where did he go? Hey, MJ Jackson. I know. I'm going to come back to it. Okay. I, I've got a, I've got something going on here. All right, Punchbowl Haircut says, I choose all the music and direct the band at my church. There are lots of rules and strategy that go into choosing the songs. None of it is to demolish people's ability to think critically. Thank you. Now, Matt, we haven't let you talk too much, and you're the guest here. But before we go back to you, I want to point out something else that's going to require me to play another video. And that is, uh, I remember talking to a person who recently deconverted, who's kind of get you know well-known and, and more well-known all the time out there. And we were talking about music and worship and how it all works. And he said, it just, what struck me was there's so much of this that is explained by brain chemistry and blood flow in the brain. Well, my response to that is yes, of course. In fact, I remember reading several years ago, um, the book, why God won't go away, which uh, Andrew Newberg, Newberg contributes to as a neuroscientist. And, uh, he, he describes it this way. And the, the thing I want you to consider when we watch this short clip is I want people out there to consider the fact that. Yeah, just like my hand is made, there's nothing supernatural per se about my hand. My hand is made physiologically to grip things. That's something that it does. Every part of my body physically is made to do these different things. Why shouldn't we expect that God would create our brains such that they are a bit wired for worship? And so I've linked this video in the description so you can watch the full thing, but watch this clip real quick. The question as to whether or not we are hardwired for religion and spirituality, I think is is a very important one. When we look at how the brain works, it looks like the brain is able to very easily engage in religious and spiritual practices, ideas, and experiences. All the brain scan studies that we've done show that there are multiple parts of the brain that seem to get involved. So it really does look like the brain is so easily capable of having these experiences. Now, exactly how that ability got into the brain is, of course, a much more complex and both philosophical and scientific question. The scientists would say, well, maybe it was through millions of years of evolution that uh, because being religious or spiritual was an adaptive process, it got incorporated into the biological mechanisms of the brain. And there's certainly a lot of reasons to support that. 
And of course, if you're a religious individual, it also makes sense that if there's a God up there and we're down here, that we would have a brain that's capable of communicating to God, praying to God, doing the things that God needs us to do. Otherwise, there would be this kind of fundamentally silly disconnect. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to have any kind of interaction with God. So it does look like the brain, no matter how it got there, does have this profound ability to engage in religious and spiritual experiences. And, and that's part of why we've seen religion and spirituality be a part of human history since the very dawn of civilization. Yeah, so I, I, guys, I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing here, but I did a whole episode on this that's linked in the description. And I, I'm not saying that all Christians are required to see this the way that I see it, but it seems to me that um, when I hear atheists point out that, well, I, you know, these experiences can be had during the use of drugs, they can be had during sexuality, they can be had during um, a Coldplay concert. My response to that is, well, yeah, just like I can use the hand that God gave me for all kinds of things, too. God gave me a brain that, is, that seems to be, whether, whether you believe God's there or not, my brain seems to be wired for worship. Whether that happened naturally or that happened because there's a God who intended that, my brain seems to be wired for worship. That seems completely expected. As, that's kind of what he was saying there. That seems expected on a Christian theism. I don't know that that would be expected on naturalism, but it's expected on Christian theism. And yes, the notion, well, this will come with the next clip, so I won't say it now, but, but the notion that I can have this same sort of experience in different contexts just tells me that what God was warning the Israelites about all through the Old Testament is real, that yeah, you have a capacity for worship, don't worship the wrong gods. Don't worship the wrong things because you can choose to worship. Right. Romans 1, 18 and following sh- shows the, the, how, how sin can redirect that sense to where you go chasing off other idols. Right. So that's. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, MJ Jackson, thank you so much for that super chat. What's up, good people? Yeah. What's up, MJ? So, all right, Matt, anything you have to say about this? No, I, I, I think that uh, you're absolutely right. And we were talking a little bit um, in the chat before this, Braxton, about that we all worship something. So kind of what is it? If if worship music is actually pointing us towards worshiping the creator, then how is it really bad? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Or manipulative because it's, uh, yeah. it's, a, te- it's a telos, right? So... Mm-hmm. One of my favorite arguments for for the existence of gods, say, is the argument from beauty, right? Something's got to explain that when you say that, when you see something that's beautiful, right, you're not saying that you're having feelings of beauty as if you're talking about yourself. You're talking about something external to you that other people with right-ordered senses can recognize, right? So these sorts of moments of transcendence and transcendent beauty and recognizing truth, all of that we as Christians believe are grounded in Christ. When you think of the transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty, all of those things, you know, Jesus is, is Lord. And so we want these moments of, of communal worship to be ordered around the Lordship of Jesus, which in my mind is, he's, he's, you want to direct your energies of truth, goodness, and beauty back towards God. You want to you want to make sure you recognize that Jesus is Lord over our mental faculties as well as our emotional responses, and so when Jesus is Lord and you believe that, which as Braxton mentioned, we're already going into this with that. We believe ordering all truth, goodness, and beauty centered on the Lordship of Jesus, 
And when you have these kinds of experiences, say at a Coldplay concert, because they're playing the little synthesizers and all that, and it's, it's creating atmosphere or whatever, that is just a mere shadow reflection of the true goodness and beauty that is found in Christ and the exist, grounded in God's existence. So all of that is what, like N.T. Wright would say, are signposts that, that, that if we were, you know, if we were rightly ordered, we would recognize God as our creator. But like I said earlier, Romans 1 shows that because of sin, people are seeking these things out in, in other kind of uh, makeshift idols and stuff. Like you said, everyone has an idol. Calvin said our mind is a perpetual idol factory. And so genetically modified skeptic, for example, we would say, because if he's going to presuppose Christianity is false, I'm going to presuppose it's true and just say, from my perspective, he doesn't recognize what he worships, but you could find something in his life. It's not going to be some sort of uh, of deity or, or some sort of statue or something, but you could find something in his life that he orders his life around that has become an idol between him and God that that needs to be smashed. So, And the same is true for all non-Christians, you know, from my perspective. Now, before we go on to the next clip, uh, third grade teacher said, thank you for that super chat says, what do you think about the notion that the reason why one would be a Christian theist is because it has less absurdities than naturalism slash atheism? Among other things, um, I think that's right. I think, uh, William Lane Crick talks about the absurdity. A really good debate that he did was against Alex Rosenberg. And he brings this out that because Alex Rosenberg was so willing to bite the bullet of metaphysical naturalism and state what the consequences are, he was able to use all the premises of Alex Rosenberg to demonstrate how absolutely absurd and worth rejecting that kind of worldview is. But that's the most consistent way of, of being a metaphysical naturalist. So, yeah, uh, it leads to all manner of absurdities and things that that we can't account for that explain the reality that we find ourselves living in as well as Christianity can explain uh, the reality that we find ourselves in. Matt, anything else? No. Well, do you have any more clips? We can keep going. Yeah, we have more clips. Yeah. We, we've right. got three more clips, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Repetitive ritual and communal worship can not only put you in a listening mood, but the music specifically chosen to complement the sermon can emotionally prime you to receive and conform to the speaker's message. Which, I'm not sure why that's a problem. This can help the speaker get through to more people, especially when the message is one which instructs listeners to change their behavior in an uncomfortable or even painful way. Again, church leaders know that music can create an emotionally charged environment which boosts the audience receptiveness, and further, they know that specific kinds of music can create specific emotional states in the audience. People responding to music in unison, praising God together, was so uniquely validating to what I was doing. Those spontaneous moments of spiritual high that were actually carefully calculated and rehearsed made God feel real, present, personal, powerful. But as an MD especially, they were never truly out of my direct control. Yet again, I had to be brutally honest with myself about how God worked. Now whenever I look out into a crowd during these times, one thing is clear. He isn't the one doing this. I am. This understanding of music's power to create specific emotional states plays a major role in church leaders' efforts to influence their congregation. When making a purely rational case is difficult for any number of reasons, leaders often rely on using emotion to convince others of that case instead. 
Okay, so Matt, um, I want to ask you about this because the the uh, the naysaying John MacArthur crowd in in the back of my mind from my my uh, formative years of being involved in all of that. Okay, so they they pick up on kind of what he's saying too about repetition and 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 all of this stuff. And I think at a conference some years ago they made a lot of noise about this and, yeah, and made a big stink one. about it. So. <laughs> I think there is a large number of of Christians out there, not too large, but I mean, a significant portion of Christians out there might actually agree with uh, this kind of thing about overly repetitious, emotive type music instead of like hymns or uh, whatever. So um, what are your thoughts on that, both towards genetically modified skeptic, but also Christians who think that certain types of, of music, that, that they might be inclined to agree with what he's saying and thinking that that's bad. Yeah, so um, I believe MacArthur coined the 7 same seven words, 11 times yeah. type, uh, type thing. When we look at what um, the throne room scene in Revelation, holy, 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 it's Lord God Almighty, and they keep repeating that. And then what I think it's Psalm what, 134, that the Lord is goodness, love endures forever, repeated almost 20 times or something like that. There's repetition in the Bible. So I would say that it's it's biblical. Actually, That's how you know there'll um, be no old people in heaven. They're all going to yeah. be given young, glorified <laughs> bodies because if there were old people, they wouldn't be able to handle it. Yep. <laughs> so that's usually kind of my response there. I mean, I, I think at the same time, it, when you repeat things, yeah, it, it gets a little ingrained into your head, but sometimes it's really good to remember these things, that the Lord is good and his love endures forever and that he is holy, <laughs> you know? So it's good to remind us of those things through repetition, um, especially if they're true. So yeah. it's like a, well, it's like a, just any, any catchy hook from any mm-hmm. pop song. You know, if if you have a, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, bridge, yeah. chorus, verse, chorus kind of structure for a song or whatever, there's going to, I mean, all music at some point that's that's catchy, that, that, that will help you remember, is going to be repetitive. I mean, even, mm-hmm. even, I don't, the chorus and hymns you sing after each step, step, step. Well, it's I like. I don't understand the whole I mean, that's just a feature of music in general, I think, that yeah. has been around since... It's where we get the term yeah. earworm. Yeah. You know, I I, uh, yep. I listened to a podcast about the band um, Scorpion, and I'm not a Scorpion fan. Most of yeah, their music is sexualized and, and, you know, all that sort of thing. But, I, but this podcast was about this song they have called The Winds of Change. And Wind of Change was... The point of the podcast was to figure out, was this song created by the CIA to bring American values to uh, Russia, basically. And so so they go. the whole podcast is really great. But ever since then, I don't think I'd ever heard this song. Really? But now every, time I, I, now every time a friend of mine, Andy, or, we're playing a video game, and I'll have that stuck in my head. I traveled the Mesqua down to Gorky Park. And it's just stuck in my head, that one lyric. So much. It's crazy. Okay, so Matt, you're a songwriter. But wait, before Matt comes on, I want to say Punchbowl Haircut says, 
what's wrong with changing your behavior in an uncomfortable and even painful way? Which is what the guy that he played yeah. said. Does that mean I shouldn't start exercising? Of course not. How dare someone do anything to persuade me to make healthy choices? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, what, I, that's exactly. what I've been on about for two years now. But Matt, so you're a songwriter um, yep. and you're a worship leader. So when you're talking about composing music that you want people to have a response to, and then when you're talking about planning a service, break down what all goes into that. What are you doing as opposed to what he thinks you're doing? All right. Um, so let's take planning a worship service first, and I'll go into songwriting after that. Um, so planning a worship service, um, I mean, sometimes we'll have um, series planned out beforehand and i'll kind of know what my pastor is talking about but usually um, so friday is my day off so monday usually i'll start thinking about what's coming up on sunday i'll i'll pray and i'll 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 seek the lord for like all right so what do you want to say to the congregation sometimes like i'll get a line from a song that we've done this meaningful to our congregation and then maybe build a set around that and it might not even go with the sermon yeah. At all. So at, at all. I mean, maybe <laughs> I know that someone in our congregation or multiple people in our congregation are struggling with um, God's faithfulness. So maybe I'll put songs about God. And it's not to manipulate them. Oh, it's just you that tricky, tricky, I'm music tricky, minister. tricky. Yeah. No, but I mean, maybe people are celebrating God's faithfulness. So maybe we'll sing about that, too. So what you're saying time. is, you know, as a as a pastor, there are people in your congregation who already accept Christianity is true mm-hmm. that may need some sort of uh, guidance or uplifting message, or they may need something in the music to help refocus their their hearts and minds because that's what they've asked for from their pastor. Yep. So, yeah, and then sometimes even like just gratefulness is sometimes the purpose of worship. And yeah. so if we're celebrating God's faithfulness and his, his goodness, I mean, thank God our congregation hasn't had a positive COVID case since Christmas. And so Amen. maybe we'll sing some songs that celebrate God's provision for us. Yeah. So I think that some of these criticisms are... We need new hymns yeah. with COVID in there. <laughs> and Fauci, something about that. Mm-hmm. And then a hundred years from now, church people will like, what is mm-hmm. this all about? Yeah. Like and then there's also been times. Yeah. You remember that song? There's also been times. There's been times in our congregation where we, we lost someone. Uh, we had a member of our congregation pass away. She was mom of seven kids and her husband was left with um, basically to take care of the seven kids. She's like, it was devastating for our congregation. So there was a whole month that basically we played laments during worship. Mm. You know, your community so, was grieving with someone. Yeah, so we were. So, yeah. so we believe that God created the heavens and the earth and he made man as his image. And we endure this entire human experience and God forbid church as a community expression actually tries to meet the needs of the people that come to that church to have their needs met. The, mm-hmm. the idea that there's something sinister about that. And I know, I know genetically modified skepticism says they don't think everyone's trying to be intentionally about that. But actually, I think from the other side, he needs to realize 
a lot's actually going on. I mean, maybe there's some some bad churches out there that are out there trying to manipulate people and they just want to keep the the money going. But that's not all churches, and I don't even think it's a lot of churches because no, Christians yeah. call out those churches. Christians will also call have a habit of, of calling out their own when they when they uh, go. So it seems to me his complaints, when you turn them around and see what's actually going on here, is actually a very important function that the church is doing what the Bible that they believe in and already accept is true actually tells the church to be doing. Jenna S. Mm-hmm. says here, and thank you for the super chat, Jenna. She said, sometimes people can worship the worship instead of singing to God. It's a worship experience. Churches spend millions on sound systems and lights. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, so there's a place for all these things. Obviously, you don't want to get to the point where, yeah, you're worshiping your voice or worshiping the experience you're having rather than directing that experience in worship toward God. That can happen with a lot of things in church where you kind of make an idol out of something that we do as a part of church worship, which, of course, is a problem. Now, Jenna, I think, says later, yeah, is this guy an atheist? I agree with most of what he's saying. So I'm assuming you're not talking about Matt. Matt here is not an atheist. But, uh, yeah, the guy in the video is an atheist. And you're right. We do agree. That, that's why we keep saying many Christians point out when these things are abused. Um, I, I don't think there's anything intrinsically abusive about playing emotional music, bleeding that into the beginning of a sermon or during a prayer. Yeah, that can that that can pull play on your emotions. And if that's happening to the exclusion of content, well, then we need to do something about that. Um, and if and if that if it's happening such that people are engaging in it without good intentions, I mean, that that's true, too. I mean, Paul in First Corinthians 14 talks about how people can have bad intentions about things they're supposed to be doing as a form of worship. So that can certainly happen. But the idea that uh, the, the idea we're objecting to is that there's something wrong with uh, the way that these worship leaders are functioning. Yeah, it's, it's, in as, general. it's as if he thinks that it should be Spock Church, right? Like we should all go to Vulcan and you know that should be whatever church would be like on the planet Vulcan that's how church should be like and that's that's absolute nonsense but I do want to thank Jenna for the super chat but I also want to point out that um, as far as spending lots of money on sound systems a lot of churches actually can't afford to do that but some churches do spend a lot of money on sound systems but I I don't want to think that I mean Christians can't have nice things and churches can't have nice things because one of the things about a really good church is that when when they decide to uh, make big purchases like that, it's not like they're spending money they don't have. So in a lot of congregations, they vote on whether or not they're going to put money t- towards those kinds of things. And I, I think it's okay because for a lot of people that go to church, um, I, any church that, that, that has ministries like food banks, has ministries like uh, you know clothing banks and things like that, there are a lot of people who go to church that do not have nice things in their house. And so church is the one place they can see beautiful objects unless the church is designed to look like a warehouse and all of that kind of thing going on. But, I mean, think about Catholic churches. They intentionally made those things beautiful, cathedrals. Think about a glass cathedral uh, you know, like the kind they have in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, for example. Some of these structures that are designed for worship are incredibly beautiful, and sometimes beauty does cost money. It doesn't have to, but sometimes beauty does cost money. But if you start taking away all of that because you think it's a waste of money, then you're going to have people who get no nice things at home, and then when they go go to worship God, 
because of some misguided. That's the Judas argument, right? Um, there's a, this idea that, well, we can't have nice things because that's too showy for church and we should spend our money giving to the poor. That, that's the Judas Iscariot argument where, where uh, Jesus, you shouldn't use this. Uh, she, she shouldn't use this on your hair because that's expensive. And, we, and, and he wanted to use the money for nefarious purposes anyway. But Judas is like, no, we should, we should take this oil that she wants to use on you and give it to the poor. So when, when, when I hear people in church, and I'm not picking on you, Jim, I'm just saying in general, sometimes I hear people in church say the church shouldn't spend money on this and church shouldn't spend money. But when it's you and Judas Iscariot are the only two people making that argument, it doesn't mean you're wrong, but the people who make these arguments that church should, shouldn't spend money on nice things may want to think about they're spending that money on nice things for Jesus and you need to rethink the argument if it's just you and Judas making it. That's all. That's all I got. Matt, any other thoughts? No, I mean, I think it also depends on the the culture of the church and the demographic you're you're reaching. Um, I know my church. We're extremely we're in pretty rural Wisconsin. I don't think we'd ever do the fog machines and light show thing, but. Up the road, we've got some churches that do that. And I mean, they do reach people. Um, I mean, it's just not, not our MO there. So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of funny because we go to a church that has fog <laughs> just, machines. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in a church in Kalamazoo. It was an African American church, and it was the first, it was only the third service they had had. Easter was the first service uh, since COVID began. And so during that time, they took the money they would be spending on certain aspects of building keep up. And they bought lighting and better stuff like that because they knew that our church engagement is going to be done online for a while. So we need to make that um, as first class as we can because we want to make things first class for God. And uh, I had a I had a somewhat well-known atheist say on Twitter, this is terrible. Look at all the lighting that they all that expensive stuff. They could be feeding people. And I thought if he only knew this church, knew where it was and knew why they ended up with this system. They might think differently. Shoddy Mills says here, my issues are more that some of the more, some of, some of them lean more sensual, romantic, me centered and problematic theo- theologically. So yeah, that, you're describing, you're, you're describing yeah. what I referred to. I'm not the first to refer it. Actually, I heard it from someone at pulpit, pulpit and pen, I think originally, but <laughs> this is boyfriend Jesus music. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's South Park. That's Cartman. Oh, I don't, episode. I wouldn't yeah, know. Man. But, um, but yeah, that's the, that's the boyfriend Jesus music that I, I kind of don't have as much of a problem, but once it's been pointed out to me, it's one of those things you can't unsee now that you've seen it, you know, but uh, you know, I don't mind a couple of boyfriend Jesus songs, but problematic theologically is, yeah, I think that's a, that's a lyric issue. Not a Matt, what's your take on boyfriend Jesus music? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, so my wife and I, we write music and we try to stay as far away from that as we can and i think it's important for churches to write their own music um like i talked about earlier like the way that you the way that i like engage musically with the congregation is each church is kind of sometimes in their own um in their own season and you want to write songs for them for that instead of using necessarily other people's songs it's not bad to do that use if you have k-love or whatever use the song whatever songs of that or whatever's popular but 
um, my wife and I and our, our worship team, we've um, found great benefit for writing songs that specifically apply to the season that our church is in. And we've seen it be extremely impactful because you're writing to the, the people that you're pastoring, the people that you know, um, and what they're going through. And yeah. we stay very far away from the boyfriend Jesus thing. And since I, mean, I was a biblical studies student under Jonathan, um, I uh, hold a very high regard having good theology in our songs. There yeah, we've heard, we've heard a lot of people talk about the pastor-scholar as a new phenomenon now that pastors are, at least in many denominations, are expected to go to seminary and seek higher education. You get this this pastor scholar type who is both of those things. You're a music minister scholar, a music pastor scholar. Yeah, he's executive so, pastor. Executive pastor. Okay. Yeah. But he um, still does the board. But he does the music. Yeah. Okay. Punchbowl yeah. Haircut wants to know where we find your music, Matt. Is there a way people can get your music? Well, usually we release under my wife's name, Audrey Mosaicus, because she's way better singer than I do. I am. Um, a u d r i e, and then you can see my name on the screen, uh, last name. Um. But yeah, we've got a song actually releasing, I think, two Fridays from now. Um, we released some Christmas stuff around Christmas, so we've just pretty much started. But it's on Spotify and whatever other music. So, so what's the wheelhouse? Find. What's the genre wheelhouse that you would find? Contemporary worship or? Yeah, know, well, more... my 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 wife and I both like writing more. It's jazzy, soulful type stuff. If you know the worship group, people in songs, we're kind of more in that genre. Um, I don't we, know that worship group. So, so they're, when you're they're when you, great when you're intentionally writing a song that's that's theologically rich. Oh, the mm-hmm. grift is so deep if he's writing music just for these people. So mm-hmm. what? No, so when you're when you're engaging in that, do you you one of the things that you think about writing music is how will this engage not just the mind but how it engages the emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to get in it. you want to get that engagement happening, don't you? Yeah, I think the big part is like in in the writing room. Um, you want people with multiple songwriter personalities in there, so you engage all the different aspects of it. You know, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said to worship with. Um, I'm more of a content and music guy. My wife is a melody and lyrics person, and we've got other people that might be better at like production and other stuff. And so we try to incorporate all of it together use like as paul says like the church is a body right and so songwriting should be a body as well so use all the different aspects to try to engage with all of it that's good right so jesus left us with tactile things you know baptism actually involves water you know bread and wine for the i'm sorry baptist grape juice two thousand years ago uh you know welch's Welch's yeah it was Things to actually engage with because we are incarnated beings. And so what I'm having a hard time with with this video we're responding to here is how do you go from engagement of emotions to manipulation of the emotions? Where does that leap happen? And why do you think it's why does why would he think that that's what worship leaders are doing for whatever the pastor is going to be saying as opposed to. No, it's just engaging on all levels of our humanity and our human experience. Where, where's that line? Do you think? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what he's getting at. Um, so I talked to my my friend Nick. He he was a former atheist. Right before this, um, he actually came to the Lord at one of our worship nights, where 
all we did was music for an hour and a half. We didn't have a message. We didn't have anything. <laughs> so I like speaking wise. I mean, we just played music and and sang. And he, he came actually to our church through uh, Financial Peace University. We were af- offering some financial classes and he came there and was impressed with the hospitality and the friendliness of people he and his wife started attending our services their kids went in children's ministry and he and i started grabbing coffee like once a week for a couple months and like he was like we just studied the book of matthew together and he just brought every objection he could and i tried to answer the best i could and whenever i couldn't like braxton says be an answer finder so i would send him find stuff and send them to him. And it was, he said that through the music at, at that worship night was when he realized he's like, all right, we all worship something and I need to worship the God of the universe now. Amen. That's awesome. But see, all right, this is where, this is where the atheist in my head says, see, Mm -hmm. see, it's not about the arguments and evidence. He had an emotional experience due to that music you were manipulating his brain with. Yeah, but they don't know the backstory. I mean, I met with him for like two months for coffee or more every single Thursday morning at 8.45 a.m. And we, uh, we talked, we went through the entire, like, half the book of Matthew by, by that point. You started with Matthew. You are so clever. This whole thing, you got him with the music. That's of course, music is a gateway drug to Bible. And no, he started with the Bible, then went to the music. So, cause that's interesting. Cause you know, as Christians, we believe in the Holy spirit, the Holy spirit shows up to do things exactly like this. And Mm -hmm. so Braxton and I've been talking for weeks already whether you become an atheist and have your deconstruction and deconversion from Christianity, or you're an atheist and you're coming to Christianity, or you're just some random pagan and you come to Christianity or whatever you leave Christianity for, no one makes worldview shifts just for one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's going to involve several things. And I doubt that the intellectual, rational reasons for having a belief are all by themselves and isolated. Now, I know that they, they help, but... Usually a lot of things are firing off in somebody's life for them to have a worldview shift. Yeah. And and so I don't actually have a problem from my worldview because I understand that there is objective truth, goodness, and beauty in the world, and all of that is signposted to Christ, and, and that will lead someone to Christ independent of arguments uh, and just having spot conversations all day long. But the spot mm-hmm. conversations also help. I mean, we're apologists. is what we do. But to actually think that that's all... It goes back to the methodological naturalism. It goes back to empiricism. It goes back to scientism as if that that explains uh, the human experience and there's no other sources of knowledge worth having. But when once you reject that as self-defeating nonsense and you realize that you are a human being in, in, a, in a world such as the one we find ourselves and you have all of these things – and the cumul- cumulative case apologists will start rattling off things that make the most sense about the world on a Christian worldview. I see how that happens. And I see that you, how atheists who could sit there and prattle off every objection they've ever heard to the Kalam, which I'm sure he probably did, that he got off of YouTube, eventually that, that doesn't work anymore because it's like, no, I'm not just, this is not just a tit for tat. And because I have arguments against it, there's more to reality than this. 
And I think that what genetically modified skeptic is pretending is not the case, but actually is the case for everyone, and I think he knows it, is that, no, it's not about just making truth claims 100% of the time in a service and that you're trying to dupe people into accepting your truth claims. It's about having a holistic human experience oriented towards the God of the creation. Now, it is true. that's not a problem. It is true that, I mean, he's not wrong that one can... Um, affect people emotionally in a worship service. Yeah. And so that could be used wrongly in other religions. We think it, it happens and, um, and that, that can be, but it all comes back to whether this is true because it's like um, Dr. Liz Jackson was saying yesterday on capturing Christianity about how um, with, uh, with faith, the difference between, you know, one of the things we know about faith is it's a trust. It's a commitment to something yeah. and that can be on the basis of evidence. But when you sit down to engage in a worship service at a particular church, you're committing to and trusting to a certain degree that the way your worship will be directed in this in this service is going to be um, is is I can trust these people. I can trust this setup. Now, one thing that back to the video, and we need to go to the next clip so we can get through these clips. But one thing that the guy that he was playing showed in that video was I began to realize that it was more about what I was doing. I was doing the worship. It wasn't something God was doing to me. Okay, well, now think back to the narrative that I've presented where just like God gave me hands that do a certain thing, God gave us brains that do a certain thing. And one of the things that our brains is, are, uh, allow for is this connectedness with those around us, the, these things that seem to be the trappings of worship. And you can just like I can choose to take these hands and do something worshipful, I can, I can, I can engage in worship intentionally. And he says, well, it's, it's like it's from me and not from God. Wait, you mean that thing that people were doing on their own that God was saying, stop doing that toward other gods and start doing it toward me? You're telling me that that, that that's a problem? That seems to be completely biblical. The notion that you have this capacity, you can get engaged in it or not. You can stop engaging in it at some point if you want to. Now, that, does, that doesn't preclude that God could do a road to Damascus type thing where you can't stop it. But, but typically, it looks like it's something you can choose to do. And uh, we see that in the Bible. Well, Any thoughts I also on that, see that Matt? in the music, especially if, if Matt was leading the worship. Because I, when we were at Mount Zion, I'm going to tell a story on you. I was standing next to Braxton because he's about to go preach and they were playing the worship music. It, it brought Braxton to tears singing. And he sings way, way better than I do. But I looked over and he was tearing up because he was so into the worship music. Repetitive and it, ritual and communal. The question so, is to whether. Sorry, Pritchett. Sorry. Yeah. Screwed up and there. so. So that does have an effect on people, and there's other. But Braxton's already going to believe that Christianity is true. Well, I was crying because I was standing next to you and you were singing. But oh, maybe that was that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it was amazing. But it's worship. not just music. Francis Collins, who's familiar with all the science, he's familiar with all the arguments. Right? He had a transcendent experience looking at a waterfall that split in three ways. Right? That was his experience. He was like, "That's when it happened for him." That ah, oh, this Christian, you know, he somehow saw. You know, in creation, God's attributes clearly seen in what he's made. He thought Trinity, all of this stuff. It, that's where it all hit him. And Christopher Hitch, his buddy, they were friends, um, kind of thought that that was ridiculous. But I totally get that. I get how that kind of transcendent experience can make, same with music, can make someone, even Francis Collins, who's Mr. Scientist, Mr. Human Genome Guy, be like, yes. 
Well, let's get let's get yeah. through the next couple of clips here. When you're emotionally vulnerable, when you feel guilt, shame, anxiety, sadness, or just insecurity surrounding a behavior or personal struggle of yours, hearing that behavior or struggle named in front of a crowd can feel deeply personal, like the speaker is addressing you specifically. Depending on the exact context, it can even feel like God himself must be leading the speaker to address you personally. The highly emotive ritual and music throughout the service emotionally prime you to enter a vulnerable, impressionable state. So if you didn't enter into the service feeling particularly vulnerable, those things are often enough to make you feel that way by the end. Even if the speaker mentions several other sins and struggles from the stage which you can't relate to, you'll still take notice when they mention something to which you can relate. Especially in an emotionally heightened state, it's easy to remember the hits, forget the misses, and remember the experience as directed toward you more than it really was. When all of these elements, the repetition, the carefully selected emotionally charged music, the prayer directed at the emotionally vulnerable, all come together within a service, they don't just serve to facilitate spiritual experiences, but rather to simulate them. If you've ever experienced a service like the one I described and you felt something which you'd describe as spiritual, ask yourself, if there was no worship leader to hype up and direct the crowd, if there was no emotive music, if there was no emotionally charged altar call where the speaker lists out people's emotional vulnerabilities, would I have had that spiritual experience? Was it really God and I coming together? Or did the church just successfully create an illusion? So for me, and I want Matt to go next, but for me, I would say that most of my deepest supernatural experience, what supernatural experiences of God, however you want to frame that up, have happened at home in my, in, in the bathroom before I took a shower when I was, that's where I do fully clothed. That's where I do my prayer and quiet time. Um, and I've had more experiences with God there than in church, although I have had them in church. So for me, is it the the worship minister singing the right songs, the pastor preaching the right sermon, all that emotional manipulation, as he calls it? No, it can happen at a time where I'm completely alone. And I know that's true for both of you other men who are on this call with me. And so that that's one thing that I want to say about this. And another thing that, that comes to me while I'm listening is, again, this idea that if if it's if this other stuff played a role, just you and not you and God coming together. Well, the thing is, first of all, we've already said, or I've already said anyway, I think this is something you can just do. And um, now that doesn't mean that there aren't times where it's obviously much deeper and you, you couldn't drum it up because it's not something you drum up. You can have a, a deeper um, experiences. But um, this notion that it has to, it has to be one or the other, either God or me, instead of both of us in the midst of a of, uh, an experience that facilitates that, like you say. Matt, what do you think about what he's just said? No, I agree with you. Um, some of my closest experiences with God is through prayer and reading the Word. Um, yeah, there is something special and a, I guess a different kind of connection that I would agree with that during music that I connect with God with. Um, I think I think it's different, um, personal and corporate as well. You got to look at those different dynamics there. Um, a lot of times we'll we'll think of worship sometimes as just singing, but it's it's our whole life experience and how we we live for live for God. Um, and 
when we when we look at singing, it, it's kind of the one act of worship that we do all together, going in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. See, when I don't know when when my my favorite worship pastors are Matt Mosakis and Joel Winters <laughs> back in uh, First Baptist Benton, I believe. Um, so usually when the music's going, if it's not a song I recognize, which is most of the songs at our church, I'm counting how many times in between songs when the worship leader is speaking or praying, how many times he or she says the word just. <laughs> Dear Lord, just be with us. Just just come to us and just just open our hearts, Lord. Just just we just ask that you just just be here with yeah, I'm just like So I'm 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 not the guy on <laughs> Unless it's you or Joel, but good worship leaders are actually hard to find. So, uh, you know, but sometimes I don't I don't remember ever hearing too many worship leaders say anything in their prattling between songs. And I I hate to put it that way, but that's kind of what they do sometimes. Um, Maybe there's some ones that are compelling, but usually I'm the let's get to the sermon guy. So let's get to the question here. How can we reconcile God being a relatable personal being with his properties of immutability and impassibility? Jonathan? Um, Depends on how we're defining immutability. Um, Just means... I I, I take it to mean his essential, like, integrity, nature, nature, trustworthiness. doesn't change. Doesn't change. Uh, Mm -hmm. Impassibility, I reject, so I don't care about that. Me too. Same here. Yeah. Okay, there you go, Trevor. Um, right, the Bible, the the Bible doesn't give you that. The Bible will protest impassibility. So, thank you, Angel WVM, for that super chat. Says the fact that music affects emotion makes much more sense on a theistic worldview than naturalism. Amen. That's right. Amen. That is absolutely true. Yes. And there was something that uh, there's one I wanted to get to. From it's like Brad. truth, goodness, and beauty in from general. Carolina. It just makes more sense. On he you. says. Being saved out of New Age occultism background, I still get a little nervous with chants and droning music, worshiping the worship, right? Yeah, I, that I, I, I understand, especially if it was used to, you know, if in New Age occultism type stuff, if that stuff is meant to evoke certain things within the, those kind of movements, something similar could function as a, as a kind of a trigger to remind you of, of that whole thing. So that totally makes sense to me. That that that's why you need um, uh, a church that just plays old hymns. Bros, your churches are using hazers, not fog machines. Shaking my head. You need to stop learning <laughs> useful things like theology and start researching irrelevant tech terms. There now, here's go. a yeah. point. Boast only in the cross says there is scripture, especially in Psalms. It sounds a bit boyfriend Jesus inclined. Yeah, and of course, all men and, and women alike are referred to as the bride of Christ. Someone so did point bit, that out. Yeah, so that is a little yeah. bit. In Isaiah, the Almighty refers to himself awkward. as your maker is your husband. Yeah. So how do, how do, how does how we'll talk about that at the men's conference about biblical emasculation? You're gonna wear a dress one day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's Punchbowl haircut again. Thank you for the Whoa, super, super thank chat. You. Have y'all heard the entire EDM remix of William Lane Craig quotes called Egad Jones? Heard that fire. That's a compliment. No. That fire. It means awesome EDM. By Punchable Haircut on YouTube. Best contribution to apologetics this century. I'll certainly be expecting a link to that, Punchbowl. Yeah. If you have to spell it out because YouTube won't let you put a link, then spell it out. Um, okay. Uh, let's, I like EDM. let's go on to the last um, That's, I like last EDM. clip that we have. Okay. 
If experiences of God's presence are real, they shouldn't require a mode of ritual and music to occur. If the gospel is intellectually convincing, people shouldn't need to be emotionally primed before hearing it. Of course, Christians do report spiritual experiences and conversions happening outside of church, but isn't it telling that most experiences of God's presence and most conversions seem to occur in these emotionally charged environments? It's enough to make one wonder, who is really responsible for the experiences of churchgoers? God or the church? Uh, Spock both. Church. We, you should have Spock Church. It should be a 45-minute TED Talk, and then you leave. Matt, what were you going to say? Uh, well, I was going to quote my friend Nick, who said that uh, I wish I could get those 15 minutes back. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I I don't know. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of times, yes, that there are, there are churches that abuse the the emotional side of things, and we've we've talked about that. But I mean, for example, um, this past month we've had. And we used to do our like prayer gatherings with music and we took music out of it and just had prayer. And it's been just as powerful without music there. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get that because number one, we already accept that Christianity is true. We all have good reasons that these atheists, no matter how many videos they put out, have not debunked the case for Christianity in God's existence. So we've already accepted all of this stuff. And what you're telling us is you don't like it because you think it does this that, and the other. Whereas when we go to our scripture, it says sing to one another in songs, psalms, and spirituals. Like we have instructions to do this, right? Uh, we should be singing songs. And, and as, why wouldn't you sing music? So I don't. Well, yeah, it's like someone put in the comments a while ago and I lost it. I meant to go back to it, but said something like if if music should be a part of worship then why didn't god like lay down the music for us or something and it's it's like uh well you know i i don't i would certainly love it if god gave us specifically like some special revelation with here's how you write the most awesome song ever that uh mm -hmm. wind of change written by the cia cia can't even compare to i would love that but God has, as Pritchett has said about other things, God has people for that. Right. God chooses to use his people. And he's given them gifts. Exercise. I mean, people thought of Israel as the musical people. I mean, you, yeah. you, you talk about when the, you know. The Bible does have a hymn book, and you could do psalm hymnodity. You could do psalms, that's right, and people do. But like um, the bashing the children's heads against the stones gets brought up a lot by atheists. Well, it's because we've got people here who are captive. Oh, you're these Israelites. You're from these musical people. Um, why don't you sing us one of your great songs? So in a different language, they sang songs uh, that they hoped would, that, that, of what they thought should happen. So they're sitting there saying, you know, oh, our God Yahweh will avenge us. Your children's heads will be bashed against the stones. And all the while, the guys are sitting around going, man, this is pretty good. This is a pretty good song because they don't know what's being said. You know, it's these were musical people. And so music, especially after David, was yeah. an important part of the worship of the one true God. Now, I'm not like Matt. There's probably some people out there that are master manipulators at certain megachurches or whatever that are only in the... Fine. Most churches I don't think are like that. Most worship leaders I know aren't clever enough 
to figure out how to manipulate large numbers of people without hiring the consultant people. And I know that churches have hired outside consultants to help them sell their brand in the community and stuff. And yeah, that's all bad. But most churches know. Um, but the idea that we should cancel music and just be given rest. See, Christianity is deeply rational because it's also the only thing that provides foundation for rational thought in the first place. But uh, sorry to get all priests up, guys. But anyway. Miss so, Matola likes your thing about justs yeah. that you came up with on your own. <laughs> no, I didn't come up You came up with it. You're the one who pointed that out to me. I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. That happens every time. Lord, just, no, just fill us. Just I want to just know your presence today, Lord. Just, just, just be in this place. Yeah, it's people like that that take me out of it more than put me into <laughs> it. You know, it's just like, so. I don't understand why they think it, there, there's anything wrong with atmospherics, for one thing, and it's like aesthetics. You should have nice things in church. It should be. It should invoke awe and beauty. And what I mean, look, think about how many. Endless chapters about the Dagum Tabernacle you have in Exodus, right? I mean, there's there's a, we in fact a lot of churches have gotten a lot sloppier than I, I prefer on on aesthetics and, and then also at, atmosphere and and all of that kind of you want you want to be firing on all cylinders because we are human incarnated beings. Scripture tells us to do music and to hear the word of the from hear a word from the Lord uh, when we're gathered in the corporate setting. So I I don't know. It's basically. Don't do church because church has the potential that you might be manipulated. Yeah, that didn't, that didn't, that didn't sit well with me. Matt, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Jonathan. Yeah, the, the whole thing about manipulation is, and the thing that Jonathan said about it, I don't think worship leaders do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would completely agree. I mean, it's not even on my radar and I don't even think it's subconscious for me when I'm building a set list or when we're talking about sermon prep or even the order of service we're just wanting the people who are already coming believing that God is the God of the universe and we want to create a environment where they can engage with God and not manipulate them emotionally we 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 want people to exercise like their worship of heart soul mind and strength amen in in amen. the church service i want i want the worship leader to manipulate me because i don't want to sit there and not like the the, the music portion we well, yeah, have i point. want that music portion you're willingly prepared. Right. submitting I, yourself. I, I, I want to sit there and not with my arms folded wishing that it was over. Mm -hmm. I want that music to to prepare me to hear from uh, the Lord through the pastor's preaching of the word, assuming that he's a good preacher. You want that to happen. Otherwise, you're wasting your time sitting there if it's not doing anything. So here's some questions for you guys. Oh, this is a statement. Catalyzing Faith says, fair question. And he's talking about, I think, the idea that so many people have these experiences in church instead of when they're not at church. And he says, but this person says, but it's a bit like asking why you're more likely to hear something when you're listening to it or not. Like that's true with anything. Like, yes, we want to have experiences at home and throughout our week. We want to be Christians all the time, not just at church. But at the same time, when you're, when you're looking at a presentation built around the, the word of God and all these things, of course, of course you're going to be more likely to, uh, be in that state when it's right in front of you. And there's 
300 people around yeah, you doing the same thing. Yeah, two or more gathered in my name. There but here's a question know. for you. I remember that somewhere. While trying to worship God, you can end up worshiping the so many things in close relationship to God, but are not God way too easily. I would give up on worshiping God altogether. Matt, what do you think about that? I mean, the emotional experience, some people do come for that emotional high every week. I mean, you got to, I think, at that point, check your heart and be like, why Why are you coming? Are you coming just for the emotional experience? What happens after you walk out? I think genetically modified skeptic deals with that. And I, I would question what's your motivation then? Um, like we said, we all worship something. Are, are you coming to worship the worship or are you coming to worship God? Yeah, it's a hard issue. Well, I don't even know if they, that's worship. Some people may, for whatever reason, I, I could, could imagine why, but I could see, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I want to say that that's even worship. Some people may go to listen to that music because they enjoy it. I don't know that they're yeah. worshiping it or even would, would categorize, but they they would go because I like this church, I like this music, I can sit and listen to the guy talk for thirty five minutes afterwards because mm-hmm. I like this music and I like seeing all my friends. Don't really care about much, but th- those people are far fewer in our culture because nobody's going to church because they have social pressures to. I mean, not nobody, but almost nobody's going to church now out of some sort of social compulsion to be there. Everyone who's there generally wants to be there. But, I mean, even within that group of people who are going willingly uh, and not because they feel like their boss or their wife or whatever, um, it seems like maybe you'd have a small percentage that's like, I'm here for the music. I don't even know if that's because they worship it, though. They they mm-hmm. may just like it. It's a preference, and they, they get something out of it. It speaks to them more than, say, a sermon does. Because, you know, just like there's all kinds of different learning styles, there's all kinds of different ways that people are sanctified, too. And so I, I actually, I don't know if they're worshiping the worship or if that just, that's what they yeah. connect with more. I mean, that's, yeah. the Bible's yeah. filled with music, yeah. so. Fat Before Street Ford says, not one evidence yet, though. See, this is part of the problem that we want to illustrate. There are, because in this worldview discussion space on YouTube and online and on Twitter, you know, people like us, people like Fat Before Street Ford, are the type of people who think it's all about the evidence all the time. So every time Christians get together to pray, every time Christians get together to listen to music or have a party or a small group or a church service, it's all about either becoming deeper convinced or doing something about these doubts that are always there. That's not Christianity. Much of what we do isn't about the evidence. That's specific to Christian apologetics, which is a subset. And until the end of the 20th century, in most church people's minds, a forgotten discipline. Shoot, today it's still a forgotten uh, issue in most people's lives. Most Christians are not doing anything to do with the evidence. And what we're doing here with you is we're saying, okay, here is what a genetically modified skeptic presented. With, By the which way, could take no argument against Christianity. To... Yeah, there's not even any evidence there that Christianity is false. Yeah. I'm the one who brought in the neuroscientists and the actual worship leader to say, what are you really thinking and what's really going on in the brain when this is happening? So this idea that every time a Christian turns on a webcam or does anything, it has to be all about the evidence is part of the problem. But, but glad you're here but go, fat before Street Right, forward. and go watch all of the videos where you have all the evidence that has never been refuted by a single atheist ever. 
even though they think they have because they're just suppressing the truth and unrighteousness because they don't want to be Christians instead of just accepting Jesus Christ and, and repenting and believing the gospel, which because that's the way the truth and life, no one comes to the Father but through Jesus, who is himself truth. So John fourteen three, a Bible verse. Right, a Bible verse. So, I mean, Christianity is true. So, I mean, you know, I could go on a rant about how all atheists are totally dishonest when they say that they don't believe in God, but I'm not going to, even though they say all of us apologists are dishonest on a daily basis in our comments. But I have a Bible verse that I have more reason to believe the Bible's true than anything any atheist ever says about their atheism to makes me think that they're being dishonest, but we won't go there. But pre-suppers, I'm, yep, I'm right there Your with point. you. Jay Hamilton, back to what Matt was saying, because he wants our church to come from our, wants our worship to come from our hearts. Amen. Amen. Mr. Timothy Amen. Ward, Timotheus Ward, thank you for that super chat. I would love Spock Church. The goofy nature of a lot of worship music takes me, takes me out of it. Does Matt try to avoid this goofiness somehow in the music he writes? If it's smooth jazz, he is. I could, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, um, I would say, well, I'm part of a, worship writing community and i think that really the the culture of that community is trying to take that goofiness out and really write songs for for the churches that the people are there are are a part of and and really what's going on there i think when you're actually writing for what is going on in your churches instead of the general goofiness out there stuff um that it it becomes a lot more real yeah, and just remember, for all the Mr. Timotheus Wards out there, Mr. Timotheus Ward, there are Derek Beelers who straight want some skillet songs played in worship. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I used um, to play in metal band. Yeah, me too. No Spock church for me. Every time I wear a red shirt, I would fear for my <laughs> life. I thought Spock had a blue shirt. Did he get promoted at some point? No, talking about Star Trek. All the red, red shirts shirt, got so die. Unless uh, you're fighting stormtroopers. Yep. Well, you'd probably die anyway, but... They'd still miss. Sometimes, Professor Exposition says, sometimes I do actually want the music to manipulate me. My heart is wicked, and at times I backslide, and I need help repenting. Right, or I need to be, I need my mood changed because my kids irritated me on the way to church in the car by having a fight in the back seat, and I need something to get my frame of mind right because I'm aggravated that I that my teenagers act like teenagers. Have you guys ever seen the film Marley and Me? It's about a dog, and as yeah. all dog films, they it ends with tears because Marley dies. Sorry, his intestine—he ate things too much, and his intestine flipped over, whatever that means, and he dies. And now every time I eat fast, I'm scared to death. I'm gonna end up like Marley and me. But I, I want to say something about Marley and me that I think is important, and that is when you watch a film like Marley and me, that is designed to affect you emotionally. It's you are willingly allowing the film to manipulate you. And the one that manipulates you the best may win an Oscar. Like Schindler's List. Yeah. That you should hate Nazis after But you willfully allowed yourself, you wanted that manipulation. Now, if by manipulation you're you're uh hiding in the definition that there's something wicked or nefarious or slippery going on, well, of course no, then we're not manipulating if that's what you mean. But if you mean there's a planned uh way of arranging a service such that people's hearts and minds will be receptive and open to God and all those sorts of things with the proper context. Yes. Do Muslims do that? Probably do Hindus do that? Probably to the extent Mormons, uh, Jehovah's witnesses to some degree, probably with some of the stuff they do. The point is 
are you choosing the right thing to worship? That's really what we're saying. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brax is reading of uh, Fat Before Street Ford is clever and hilarious. I don't know what that's about. I just read the names as they appear. I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. Somebody said, good point, Mr. Hunter. Somebody said, let's go Pritchett. There's been a lot of pro Matt comments being thrown up. Um, yeah. So we've reached kind of the end of, of the uh, question and answer time. Are we our list of our questions? If we get more questions, we'll answer them. But Matt, what do you want to say if you had to like sum up your thoughts on this video in general? Um, it seems like sometimes we, even as Christians go to, well, you can't trust the heart because it's deceitful above all things, you know? And then you've got also Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. So I guess which one is it? So I would say that God gave us emotions to worship him. And so we do need to engage with our emotions, but also with our mind. He doesn't say just your emotions or just your mind. I think it's, it, they need to work together. And so that's kind of where I try to come at worship. Yes, it should be intellectually stimulating. Again, God gave us emotions for a reason to connect with them. He wants a relationship and relationships are emotional. And so that that's kind of where I land worship leading. You need to engage, engage both the heart and the mind. Yeah. And for the person who said not any evidence yet, it should be noted that here's your evidence. This is called, um, this, this is what we're doing. We're doing here is saying, where would we most expect this phenomenon of our ability to engage in what we call worship and religious people call worship that you may call neurochemistry and, and merely that, what, which hypothesis would, is that more expected on? Like if you didn't already know how everything turned out and human beings were about to, about to emerge, is it more expected on naturalism or on Christian theism that these beings will develop uh, intellectually sophisticated ways of thinking and will have this bizarre capacity to feel connected to one another and to a higher power? Where does that, what does that fit best on? Because I think it fits much better on Christian theism than it does on naturalism. Yeah. There's your evidence. Uh, not that we're here necessarily. And the, just the, the fact that there's objective truth, goodness, and beauty. Amen. Christianity is the best explanation. Derek Beeler here says, are you going to rebuke Leighton Flowers for doing a live stream at 1.30 on a Friday when he knows you always live? I actually don't know that Leighton Flowers knows when I go live. Yeah, he doesn't care about it. I know when he goes live, every time I look at my phone, that's when he goes live. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Pritchett, anything you want to say to sum it all up? I, I've said all that, that needs to be said, I think, about this. It's just, um, it's easy to manipulate people into thinking that they're being manipulated with videos where you speak softly and disarming and disaffecting. But that just shows that a very limited perspective on the global church out there. And I know he's talking about from his experience and, and all of that, but mm, instead of like trying to give arguments and all of this and trying to say that every they're whether they're malicious or not, they're, this is how they're, they're controlling your brain or trying to maybe try to see about talking to worship leaders and find out what actually are they trying to do and why they're trying to do it the way that they do it. That may not be uh, even unintentionally manipulative, but it may be a, be instead of using the word manipulative which has a negative connotation see how can 
people who believe this is true, how can they most engage in worshiping the God of the universe and their Lord Jesus through the Spirit with what we do here in our corporate gathering? And when you do that, you're not going to find from most worship leaders, many of them underpaid if they get paid at all, is how can we get people to do what we tell them or get more money in the nonsense. So I think that a lot of things that he point out actually can happen at any sort of event where there's any gathering of people, any music. Um, and the reason why that those kinds of things, beautiful music and camaraderie and unity can have an effect is because that's what Christ is trying to do. Not just reconcile us to God, but reconcile human beings to one another um, through the, through the cross. He's reconciling the world to himself. So the fact that we are humans, incarnated beings, and find that, we find these signposts that can have those kind of effects in wrongly oriented ways. And what we do in church is orienting all of our faculties in the right way towards our creator out of what Matt was talking about earlier, out of gratitude. Amen. Brando says, I find sometimes it seems the same thing is said over and over. I think he means in church. And it seems very generic or not, or even not as deep. I tend to think that might be because... We have it good today. Thoughts? So it is because we have it good today. I mean, you know, uh, in First Peter, Peter is informing his audience that they need to be ready to defend what they believe, which means they need to know what they believe, right? Yeah. But also in Second Peter, he says this, and I, I think this is very interesting. I think a lot of people miss this. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of things of these things, even though you already know them. By the way, what he's been telling them is they need to grow in all these particular areas of Christian discipline and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of earthly my earthly dwelling is imminent. He knows he's going to die, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So three times he mentions they're being reminded of things. So I think... A, uh, to the question or anyone else out there, I do think that church should consist of you learning new intellectual information about the Bible, because that's a part of what Peter just said he was doing earlier in chapter one, where he's saying, I want you to grow in your knowledge of Christ. Knowledge is mentioned eight or nine times yeah. in chapter one of Peter. But it is also mentioned here that he says, but I also want to remind you of things that you already know so that after I'm dead, you can remind yourself of these things. In the way I thought about church when I was pastoring was on Sunday morning, it's certainly possible people will learn things, especially if they're new to church in general. Um, but my goal was really to remind people of things they already knew, like Peter says here, so that they can go out and live the Christian life in a more effective way. And so sometimes we shouldn't feel like, I don't think, I don't think we should feel like if I didn't learn anything new today or come to some new deeper insight, well, then the sermon wasn't good or the music wasn't good. I think that Sometimes that's exactly what we need is to be reminded. And to his earlier point about, he said something like, well, they're going to call out sins. This pastor might mention some sins and he might mention your sin and then five other things that aren't sins you deal with. And we tend to hear the hits and not the misses. This is something that often comes up when atheists criticize prayer is they'll say, well, yeah, you had some prayers answered, but you had a lot that weren't answered. And you remember the hits and not the misses. Well, putting prayer aside for a minute, we've got episodes on that. With this, it's important to note that we don't consider those misses when they're sins that we're not dealing with. We consider that in corporate worship, that may be hitting someone else here today who's dealing right. with that particular sin. Yeah, he mentioned one that's my particular sin. I wanted him to do that because now I feel more inspired um, 
to, to, to live for the Lord in a deeper way. My conviction is deeper. I've maybe perhaps recommitted to the Lord today, as he mentioned that as well. Um, but then on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and I know churches don't really do Sunday nights much anymore, but when I was pastoring, we did. And on Sunday nights, we do a series through the book of the Bible, uh, expository preaching, and then on Wednesday night, a different book of the Bible. And so as a result of that, you got the, you got the, um, What's the term I'm looking for? The meat. Yeah. Well, you got that. Yeah. You got the, the intellectual stuff that you need to learn to go further, but there's a term for exhorting, exhorting exhortation. someone. Exhortation. Yeah. yeah. There's that too. On Sunday and morning. so I think that can be a good thing. Yeah. And if you want a deep theological sermon, invite, have your pastor invite me to preach. You'll like it. And then most of the congregation will be asleep, but it might scratch an itch. So, well, uh, Matt, now do you have anything to close out with? Um, no, I just want to say uh, thank you for having me on. I, I guess um, what you got uh, up there uh, from Brando about the saying the same things over and over. I think one thing about some of water, modern worship music is they do say the same things over and over. And um, I'm really impressed with uh, kind of this worship community that audrey and i have joined it's called writing worship um chrissy nordoff is kind of the head of it and they're really trying to find fresh ways to say um say these truths and so sometimes we hear the same words over and over but what's what's a fresh way to say it that means the same thing and so so i think sometimes our songs in church might need that so that would that's good you know my my response to that that goes in a lot of places. I mean, Cameron Bertuzzi mm-hmm. has told me for years now, hey, you know, one thing you can do is if someone asks you the same question every single week, which we do get several of the same questions almost every week, mm-hmm. not so much this week, but um, he says, hey, answer it with a, the same answer, but use a different illustration to make your point. Yeah. And I should do that, but I don't. I give the same illustrations yeah, every week. Yeah, it's the same thing as contextualizing 2,000-year-old <laughs> mm-hmm. texts, say them in a new way for a new generation. Yeah, Yep. All, that's an ongoing process that God invites us to do. Well, I hope I didn't miss any super chats. And we certainly got to a lot of questions that weren't super chats too, but I want to tell you, I've really enjoyed having you on Matt and yes, we'll have thanks. to have you on again sometime. Looking forward to seeing you next week too. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be great. That's going to be good. And for the rest of you, it's been fun today. Really enjoyed it. Um, and I hope you did too. Uh, Friday can't come soon enough. I love these Friday live streams but we'll get off of here now so you can have time for a potty break a juice box some animal crackers before you start again with mike wayne so with that we'll see you next time on trinity radio with me, Matt. Don't go anywhere.